0: just want to say a word about uh, next Sunday, uh, especially for those of you who are watching online today. Uh, we're going to, back to two services, um, and we're trying to make as convenient as possible for you to return to church. Um, I know how wonderful it is to be in your cuddly jammies watching church. I, I, I get that. I did that for a while. But, uh, boy, we would love to see you next week. Um, unless you're unable, unless you're still afraid, we ha- are going to have lots of space outside, lots of room for everybody, and uh, it's going to be great to see your faces once again. So join us, especially families uh, with children and teenagers. We'd love to see you again. So uh, next Sunday, big day for our church. Well, let's, uh, I just want to ask, uh, just share a short prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, how many of you have been to a state fair or a county fair? Okay, I think most of us have. Now, Sherry and I spent 10 years in Minnesota. And so when you talk about fairs, Minnesota and Iowa, I understand, are the two greatest fairs in the United States. And I would say that of Minnesota state fairs. I mean, they do a great job. I mean, they fry everything. You know, Snickers, goat, you know, whatever, uh, they fry everything. <laughs> don't, they don't do goat? Okay, yeah. But, uh, it's, but when I was a boy growing up uh, in East County of San Diego, uh, there was one fair, and that was a little bit north uh, at the coast in Del Mar the Del Mar County Fair every year. And we used to go to that once in a while. And I remember as a little boy going, and the favorite thing for me was what they called the fun house. And I think some of you that are old enough remember the fun house. And you would go in there and have all, all these mirrors. And uh, they would be distorted. And you would look at yourself and you would be fat or skinny. Big head, big smile. I always went to the mirror that made me look skinny. But, uh, it, you know, it never, always changed when I left again. But I had all these things and I had all these impressions kind of as who I was through these mirrors. As I was growing up... Um, other people around me in my life were mirrors. Uh, when I was uh, in the sixth grade, I remember uh, some boy in the playground called me hippo. I was a heavy kid, uh, called me hippo. And he and I had some intense fellowship. Uh, you know, I beat him up in a loving, godly way. And, uh, but but, but that, that, that stuck with me to this day. I say that word and I feel it. You know what I'm saying, right? And then uh, in the uh, 11th grade, I was uh, in my... Uh, World history class, United States history class, uh, Mr. White, Ralph White, and I remember after class one day he said, "Dwayne, I want I want to talk to you for a minute." He came on. He said, "I want you to know that you're a really smart kid. Sometimes I don't think that you believe that, but you're smart and you're good in my class, and you just need to know that um, I see that in you." And then when I was playing football. Uh, when I was a sophomore, the varsity coach uh, came over to me after practice one day. He said, he Cross, hey, come here. And uh, I, I played offensive line and linebacker, and uh, he said, I, I've noticed you. You seem to have a nose for the ball. Now, those of you who know football know what that means. I was usually around the place that I needed to be to make the tackle. My junior and senior years, I led the team in tackles, and that always stuck with me. Those things... Stay with us, don't they? People tend to identify us and make assessments of us. And those form us. Whether judgments or condemnations or praise, they form us by how we look, what we do, what we accomplish. What others believe about me, what others believe about you, really tends to stay with us. Now, a huge part of believing the gospel is believing what the gospel says about me. Am I living by the voices in my head? Some of you hear those voices of your parents or grandparents or friends. Stupid, you're an idiot, uh, you're no good. I mean, some of you still hear those voices in your head. Are you believing those voices? Or are you believing the voice of God in your soul? Which is bigger? Which is louder? How do you determine your worth? What voices do you listen to? Paul's message to the Colossians is a clear and poignant answer to this question. When you understand that Jesus is bigger than your sins, when you understand that Jesus is bigger than your brokenness, When you understand that Jesus is bigger than your accomplishments, when you understand the gospel at the very depths of your soul, when you recognize your temptation to sin is in the moment a temptation to disbelieve the gospel, when you recognize that it's not about behaving better but believing deeper, then you find yourself living by grace. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, I'm going to read our text this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. We've spent some time in these verses because, to me, this is one of the most critical and powerful passages in all of the Bible. So as I read it, I want you to let the words, maybe you need to close your eyes or read along with me, but let those words overwhelm you, let them consume you, let them bubble up inside of you, because this is what Jesus believes about you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. This is the word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, just let that settle into you. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and last week we talked about before you can put on those new things you have to take off the old things right the old grave clothes the things that bind you up the things that keep you committed to living the best life so that somebody will notice including God right verse 13 make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others Above all, your, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 16. Let the message about Christ, listen very carefully, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? The message about Christ in us, in all his richness, may it fill our lives. Jesus is big enough. His love is deep enough. His grace is wide enough to fill you with joy and gratitude that cannot be contained. So here's the question I've asked you every week in this study of Colossians. Is the grace of Jesus big enough for you? Is it big enough for you? regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you're going through, is the grace of Jesus big enough for you? Paul is here saying, look, you're looking in the wrong mirror. You're listening to the wrong voices. Those mirrors and those voices are distorted. When people judge you by your performance or how you look or your wealth, that is a distortion of who you are. What God says in the gospel, what the gospel says about you, is that you are, in this text, four things. You are acceptable, you are valuable, you are lovable, and you are forgivable. Let's look at those four things today. I am acceptable. Say that with me out loud. I am am acceptable. I didn't hear you. uh, Those of you who are watching online, I need to hear you in Vermont especially, okay? I am acceptable. Therefore, as God's chosen people, the first part of Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, you are, did you know you are chosen by God? We all want to be accepted. We all want to be chosen, right? I remember in the second grade, one of my earliest memories, I was seven years old, we went to a new school. I was very afraid. I didn't know what to do. And so some voice inside of me said, you need to let everybody see how funny you are and how wonderful you are so they'll like you. So when the teacher left the room for a minute, I stood up on our desk. Remember the desks? They had the desk out front. And, the ch- and I thought that was going to be a cool thing until I stepped on the desk part. And of course, I went crashing down. I wanted to be accepted. Instead, I was laughed at. Does that ring a bell to some of you? I want to be accepted. We will go to enormous extremes to be accepted. But God's saying, listen, you're looking in the wrong mirror. You are acceptable. You are chosen by God. Jesus tells us that this issue is settled when we accept his grace. Romans 15, 7 says, Christ has accepted you. It means that you matter to him. It means he loves you. It means he sees you. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Sherry spoke at a women's gathering here at church. And she talked about this idea, and this is an idea that she's been working on for some time, and so it's kind of getting into me as well. This idea that the face of God sees you. The, his face will shine upon us. That's a very real thing that we can experience, we can feel. Do you recognize that the face of God is shining upon you? I mean, that's, that's got to do something to you, right? Christ has accepted you. Now, I I, I do a lot of um, pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling. I have for 40 years. And um, one of the things that I always notice, because we, we always look at Ephesians 5 when we talk about that. Because really, what women want more than anything else is love, and part of love is feeling secure and feeling like they matter. And what every man wants, and this comes to Ephesians 5, what every man wants more than anything, more than breath, is respect. And sometimes in marriages, we get that kind of confused. We say something like this, uh, honey, I will love you if you accept me. And then our wives will say, well, wait wait a second. I will accept you if you love me. And you just keep doing that, and it just becomes this, becomes this crazy cycle, just kind of spinning around and around and around and around. See, what, what this kind of acceptance looks like is removing the if. I will love you, period. Even if I get nothing in return. I will accept you. I will respect you, Period even if I get nothing else in return. That's the way that God loves and accepts us. First Peter 2.9 in the Living Bible says, you have been chosen by God himself. Did you know that? You have been chosen by God himself. Well, in our lives, especially kids, we choose a lot. We choose our friends. And one of the most terrifying things for any child is to have a time when People are chosen, right? A pickup football game, or some kind of an activity where I pick you first, and I pick you, and your prayer is, "Oh God, just don't let me be picked last." You know, I, anywhere in there, just don't let me be picked last. So, uh, I was uh, when I was 15 years old. Um, uh, my sisters had taken me on a triple date. I had two twin sisters, a year and a half older than me. They were 16. I was 15. And they decided it was time for me to go on a date, and which I did reluctantly. And uh, it it was an epic romantic failure on my part. And so uh, about a year later, um, uh, they're deciding that I need to have another experience. And so they thought the Sadie Hawkins dance would be the perfect opportunity. Remember the Sadie Hawkins dance? It's where a girl asks boy, and thank God, because I was terrified of asking a girl. Uh, And uh, my sisters assured me, we will find a girl. See, this is always a problem. You know, you know, we will find a girl that will ask you to the Sadie Hawkins dance. And so I'm sitting by the phone, and I'm wondering, is this really going to happen? Finally, someone did call, and she was wonderful, and we had a good time. And uh, I, I just had this inside of me that I just needed to be picked. I needed to be selected. I needed someone to say, I choose you. And what God is saying to each and every one of you this morning is, I choose you. I pick you. I love you today, right now, in this moment. And you know what? I'll love you tomorrow. And I'll pick you tomorrow. Some people, and some people in this room, some people watching online, have never felt like they have been chosen by anyone. Maybe their parents were ineffective, at worst, abusive, didn't show care or love, and you've grown up all of your life just wondering, is someone going to accept me? Is someone going to love me? Listen, parents are flawed. There's only one been one perfect parent, and that was God the Father, and look how his children turned out. You know, we're pretty screwed up, right? So so another you can have the perfect parents and still be... But listen, listen, God loves you. God expects accepts you he says you matter to me so author Steve Brown has written some wonderful books uh, tells a story about his daughter Robin who was an excellent student a straight-a student she had mostly honors classes uh, But this one class, English literature, when she was a senior in high school, was really kind of kicking her butt, and she just wasn't getting it and didn't feel good about it. And she was terrified of not getting straight A's. So she asked her father, Dad, can we go and talk to the English teacher and ask to be dropped down to a regular English class? And as a good father, he said, sure, we'll go and talk to the teacher. So let me read you what uh, Brown writes. The English teacher looked up and saw me standing there by my daughter and could tell that Robin was about ready to cry. There were some students standing around, and because the teacher didn't want Robin to be embarrassed, she dismissed the students, saying, I want to talk to these people alone, referring to Robin and her father. As soon as the students left and the door was closed, Robin began to cry. I said, I'm here to get my daughter out of that, this English class. It's, it's too difficult for her. The problem with my daughter is that she's too conscientious, so can you put her in a regular English class? The teacher said, Mr. Brown, I understand. It's a good teacher, right? Then she looked at Robin and said, Can I talk to Robin alone for just a minute? I said, Sure. She said, Robin, I know how you feel. What if I promised you an A no matter what you did in the class? If, you, if I gave you an A before you even started, would you be willing to take the class? Now, my daughter is not dumb. She started sniffling and said, "Stop sniffling and said, uh, well, I think I could do that. <laughs> the teacher said, I'm going to give you an A in the class. You already have an A, so you can go to the class. Wow, what a teacher. Now, she couldn't do that with every student, right? But she knew this student. She took away the threat. And so Robin, being relaxed... She was already accepted, as you would expect she aced the class, right? But that's how God deals with you and with me. Because of Christ's finished work, you've already been given an A. The threat of failure, of judgment, of condemnation has been removed. Nothing you can do will make your grade better or worse. You have an A. The pardon, the approval, the grace is already given. You are accepted. So live like it. Live like an A student. Live like an A class Christian. Not because you are, but because that is exactly who you are in Christ Jesus. The meaning, the acceptance, the significance, the worth... And the affection we crave and need are already ours in Christ Jesus. We don't need to add anything to it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God's grace says you are accepted, but He doesn't leave it there, right? The text speaks further to who you are. The second thing is I am valuable. Say that out loud I am valuable. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, Colossians 3.12. Holy and dearly beloved. That word holy comes from the Greek word hagios, which means sacred or set apart. It's like you have something very valuable. You set it apart from everything else. Something that has a a complete and unique purpose. That's what it means to be holy. You are declared to be holy and holy and dearly beloved, set apart. You are valuable beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, can you consider this, that you are valuable because of his grace? You can even say, I, I'm valuable, really? I'm worth something? How much do you think you're worth? I'm not talking about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. Your net worth and your self-worth have no relationship to each other. Your value has no relationship to your valuables. The Bible says that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. I'm talking about how valuable you are as a person. You might say, well, I, I don't really know. How do you value the judge of a person? Well, you judge the value of anything. Two ways. Who owns it? And what is somebody willing to pay for it? Two things create value. So a few years ago, um, uh, It went on auction at the Barrett at the Barrett auction, you know, up north north of Phoenix, Scottsdale, Um, 1956 Cadillac owned by Elvis Presley. Now, other 1956 Cadillacs in pristine condition sell between 12 and 18 grand. Okay, but this Elvis Presley edition, it was just the same as the rest, except he owned it. Sold for 188 thousand dollars. Why? Because it was better? No, no, not at all. Just because of who owned it. A few years ago, John Lennon's underwear was auctioned off for $50,000. Don't try that on eBay. You're not going to get anything for your underwear. A pair of Air Jordans or a pair of Air Jordans that Michael Jordan wore in a basketball game, (laughs) right? The value comes by who owns you. Who owns you? First John 4, 4 says, you belong to God. You belong to God. Imagine your value. When you came to Christ, when you said yes to Jesus, you gave your heart to him. You belong to God. And that makes you of inestimable value. The other thing that determines the value of what somebody is willing to pay for it a house, a piece of art. What's the value? What The value is determined by what somebody will pay for it, right? Market value, right? In 1 Corinthians 7, 23, in the Living Bible, it says, you have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. So there's a story of a little boy who made a little red boat. He did it with his own hands. His dad kind of coached him, but he made this little boat out of balsa wood, made some little, um, I don't know all the stuff you put on a sailboat, Jeff and Donna, but uh, it was a cool little boat, painted it red, and it was ready to sail. He put it out in the stream and watched it go down, and then a little wind came up, and it went further. The boy chased after it, and you know the story. He eventually lost it. It just went downstream, went into a river, and was gone. Well, a few weeks later, his dad and he were down uh, at a town downstream from where they lived, and walked by an auction shop—or excuse me, a pawn shop—and they saw his little red boat in the window. He said, "Wow!" He went in there. "Hey, that's my boat!" And the pawn shop owner said, "No, it's my boat. I found it. You can have it, but you're going to have to pay for it." The boy was very sad, but the father said, "You know what? This really matters to my kid." They paid for the boat. And as they were leaving, the dad said to the little boy, listen, this boat belongs to you twice. Once because you created it, and once because you bought it back, you redeemed it. Listen, each one of you who belong to Jesus, you belong to God twice. Once because he created you, and also because he redeemed you. How precious you are to me. Isaiah 43, 4. God's grace says that you are acceptable and that you are valuable. And the third thing our text says is that you are lovable. Say that with me out loud. I am lovable. Now, that one's tough for some of you. I can hear because you're mumbling. Maybe it's your masks. I think it's because you are mumbling. Let's say it together aloud. I am lovable. The Bible says you are dearly beloved. Isaiah 54.10, the mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. (laughs) He says, everything he says twice, you better pay attention, right? When he says very, very, you know, anytime he says something twice, pay attention. When mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end, so says the Lord who loves you. When you feel that deep in your soul that God loves you. Now, two things about love. You know this already. God's love is consistent. It's never going to end. It's not fickle. It's not dependent on whether you behave or not. It's not changing his mind every moment. One day, God loves you. The next day, he wants to squash you and step on you. No. He doesn't say, get lost. Doesn't have any bad hair days. God doesn't. He's not unpredictable. Most of us experience this inconsistent love from parents or friends or relatives. Some of you have discovered that when you were a kid, maybe you were either hugged or slugged and you didn't know which one was going to happen. But God is consistent and it is never dependent on His mood because He loves you and His love is never ending. But also, God's love is unconditional, it's not based on performance. It's not based on how good you are. It's not taking... I bought Sherry roses yesterday and I was a little disappointed as she was putting the roses in the vase. Uh, the, leave, the the petals started falling off, you know. And come on, you know. Let's, come on, let's see. You know, I paid some good money for this thing and it looks good now, but there's a lot of petals that fell off. And, but God's love is, love is not like that. It's not like, you know, I love you, I love you not. I love you, I love you not. His Love is unconditional, and it never changes. I love you, period. No conditions, no qualifiers, just my grace. You don't have to have to ask, I wonder if God's going to love me tomorrow, or the day after. I wonder if God's going to love me. I, remember as a kid, as a teenager, you sinned or you did something wrong, and then you're sitting, laying in your bed that night saying, does God still love me? I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. And, but God says in Christ, uh, I am acceptable. I am valuable. I am lovable even when I feel unlovely. And finally, I am forgivable. Say that out loud with me. I am forgivable. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is at the very core for most of us. Why our God is too small is because we think our sins are are too big. Have you ever asked God, why me? You know, Why all the troubles? I'm sure we've all asked that question before. Maybe you read about the guy who was driving up to his cabin in Big Bear, California. On the way up, driving, he ran out of gas and he forgot to put on the brake on his car so the car rolled back over the cliff. What do I do now? Well, I walk, towards my cabin on the way up to the mountain. One of these El Nino storms came up that comes in California and he got completely soaked and drenched. He said, oh man, I'm going to catch pneumonia. He's feeling worse and worse, lower and lower. Finally, he sees his cabin and he says, oh, finally. And then lightning strikes it. It catches on fire and he began to cry out, why me, God? Why me? And all of a sudden he hears a voice from heaven saying, because some people just tick me off. Some of you believe that of God. <laughs> that he's capricious somehow. That when you behave badly, he's going to let you have it. Some people really believe that. God is mad at me or disappointed or exasperated. Does God do that to his children? No, never. Listen to this, Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. I am the God who forgives your sins. And I do this because you deserve it? No. For my own sake. And remember your sins no more. Can you get a hold of that concept that God forgives you of your sins for his sake? Say, how's that work? Because God so desires to love you fully, completely, without any barriers, without any obstructions, that he forgives you so he has that clear and intimate relationship with his creation. For God's sake, no barriers. God doesn't carry grudges. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some people think that God is mad at them all the time. There was a woman, the church I grew up in, a little country church, back in the day her name was Beatrice, Uh, She's uh, long since gone to be with the Lord, but she was the grumpiest, grouchiest curmudgeon you ever saw in your life. And she said, If I could just experience the love of the Lord, but I can't because of my sin. And she was always like that Beatrice, come on, get a grip. You know, you've got to figure this thing out. The voices, the voices that you hear. You're not good enough, you try harder. You blew it again, but deep in your soul, you need to experience this face of Jesus looking at you. You are forgiven. Your sins are wiped out. You are set free. Ephesians 1.4, through what Christ would do for us, God decided to make us holy in his eyes agios set apart without a single fault, we stand before him covered with his love. That how you stand before God? Covered with his love. Amazing. Amazing. Is your God big enough? Is the gospel vast enough to see us before him without a single fault? I mean, deep in your soul, Jesus, who is bigger than your sin, he's bigger than your past, present, future, says, look in the mirror and see who you are, the mirror of God's love. Grace is the face God wears when he looks at my failures. So Brennan Manning, one of the uh, great authors of the last 30 years, wrote a book, Ragamuffin Gospel, He was a a, a Catholic priest, and he discovered grace in this book. It's a powerful book if you haven't read it. In the book, he tells a story of uh, a professor by the name of Fred Craddock, who was a professor at Emory University in Gatlingsburg, Tennessee. One day, he was in a a cafe in Gatlingsburg, and uh, uh, Craddock was just having lunch by himself, and an older man sat up next to him right up to the counter, and they started a conversation. And it, this man sounded really interesting. And so Craddock said, listen, what, tell me a little bit about your story. I'm really anxious to hear about your story. This is one thing I love about my wife. She always, she cares about your stories. Sometimes I act like I do, but she always does, right? She wants to hear your story. And so he said, I want to hear your story. And so the older gentleman began. He said, hey, listen, I, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was. And it was very, very hard for me growing up. The boys at my school had names they called me, and they made fun of me all the time. When I walked down the main street of our little town, I always felt like people were staring at me and asking that terrible question. I wonders who, I wonder whose father that little boy belongs to, and they would laugh. So I spent a lot of time by myself. I didn't have any friends. One day, a new preacher came to town, and everybody was talking about how good he was. I had never gone to church before, but one Sunday, I thought I would go and hear his message. I did. He was a good preacher, so I kept going back. Each time I would go late and leave early so I wouldn't have to talk to anyone else. Then one Sunday, I got so caught up in the preacher, this message that I forgot to leave, and before you knew it, I was caught in the middle of this aisle, and there were people all around me, and I was so afraid, and I didn't know what to do. And suddenly, I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. When I turned around, that big, tall preacher was looking down at me and asking, what's your name, boy? Whose family are you? Whose son are you? When I heard the question, I just shook inside. But before I could say anything else, he said, Well, I know who your family is. I know whose son you are. There's a distinct family resemblance. You are the son of God. You are the son of the most high God. At that point, the old man turned to Fred Craddock and said, You know, what that preacher said that day absolutely changed my life. The old man got up and walked away. In a few moments, the waitress came over and asked, do you know who that was? Asked Fred Craddock. No. No, I've never seen him before. Well, she said, that's Ben Hooper, the two-time governor of Tennessee. Do you know who you are? Come on, really. Do you know who you belong to? Do you know how acceptable you are, how loved you are? Do you know how forgiven you are? When you begin to see yourself, not in the mirror of other people's perceptions, but in the mirror of God's grace, really see you. You feel secure and free and satisfied because here's the truth from the gospel today. You are accepted. You are valued. You are loved. And you're forgiven. Now here's my charge to you. Live like it. Live like it. Don't try to earn it. Live like it. That's who you are. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, Father, we, we, hear, we hear this kind of message a lot, especially when we read Paul's epistles. And okay, we're accepted and we're loved and we're forgiven and we're valuable and all of that, but we don't live like it. We still live like we're trying to prove ourselves. We still live like we're trying to make the team. We still live like we're trying to earn an A. Lord, please help us to see ourselves in the reflection of Jesus in the mirror of God's grace. Not those voices that we've heard since we were children and even as adults that we just don't matter and we're not enough and we're not good enough, but to see ourselves through Jesus in the mirror of God's grace and love. Father, we crave that. We need that because that's how we walk and that's how we stand before you. Holy, hagios, set apart, unique, unique, for God's purpose and glory. Thank you, Father, for the truth of this word, and I pray every person listening would receive this and walk in this love. It's real, and it's for each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. May we live this and believe this with all our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.